0: Though you'd never know it from all the mysterious movements classes, this work does not, as it was originally taught, begin with moving center. But I find it so amazing that so many people come to this work through the moving center. And it's because Gurdjieff was a dance teacher and he had all these mystical dances and sacred dances. He did demonstrations and he taught Dance, because it's something you can see, it's something you can touch, it's something you can do. People then began to relate this work to movements. This work is not about movements. If you think about working with the moving center, that's working from the wrong end in this work. This work is the fourth way. Working with the moving center is the first way. The first way is the way of the vakir, and that's not what we do. Now, you'll have people who will say that, well, you're not doing the work if you're not doing the dance and you're not doing the movements. Well, okay, then I guess I'm not doing the work. I'm certainly not doing that work because that is starting the work from the wrong end. That's not how this work was originally taught. It is true. It has morphed into that. That was almost inevitable, considering if you have secret movements and secret classes and secret dances, that's always going to attract the false personality, because it can get to be special, it can get to be superior, and it can set itself apart from everyone else. That is working from the wrong end. That is not the direction that this work is supposed to be going. That's not the direction that this work leads. The false personality is always looking for an easier, softer way. It's always looking for something more secret, more glamorous, more esoteric, secret handshakes, secret hats, secret underwear, whatever. If you look at all the different religions and orders of this and orders of that, everybody's got a secret these people don't have any windows in their halls because they don't want anybody looking in for all their secrets. And they wear secret clothes in their meetings. And some people wear special underwear and some people, magic underwear, and some people have a special handshake. And other people have a special sign, like the old Christians used to make the sign of the fish so that they could tell one another, okay, well, I'm one of you. And like that. And people love that. They just love that. And the reason people love that is because it's secret, it's special. And the false personality loves something that's special. What could be better for it than a special, secret set of movements to lift you far above the common herd? Everybody who's in this work has a desire to be above the common herd. Whether you'd like to admit that or not, that's the way it is. If you got into this work, what got you into this work was your ego. And if you think anything else got you into this work, then you're not observing yourself. But that's what got you into this work from your end. What got you into this work from the work's end, we don't know. I've heard people make up all kinds of things. But the truth is, we don't know. And when you do know, my guess is you don't really run your mouth about it so that you can be above the common herd and more special and superior than everybody else. Because that's what running your mouth about it usually tends to be. Order is heaven's first law, making it anathema to our pride and vanity. Our pride and vanity doesn't like order. There's no glory for the false personality in submitting to something higher. And that's the order. For us, the order is to submit to something higher, not to lean to our own understanding, not to do it the way we think it should be done or the way we like to do it. Well, I like the dance. I like the special movements. So that's what I do. But that's not... What this work is about. This work is about submitting to something higher, obeying something higher, something outside of you, something that doesn't come from your false personality. Now can you see how this work can never be popular on this planet as it is? It can never be popular because people are not going to do that. We're not going to do it. We'll come up to it and maybe nibble at it, but we're not going to do it. We'll be like the fish nibbling on a piece of bait to find out if it really wants it or not. Ospensky said, you must let the ideas of the work change your thinking. Well, clearly, you can't change your thinking. So you must let the ideas of the work, something higher, that come from C influence, that come from a higher place, you must let them change your thinking. Maurice Nicole said, to begin with moving center, when habits of thinking and feeling remain unaltered, is to begin from the wrong end, in the wrong order. Beginning at the wrong end is part of our condition. What is our condition? We're glued. We're glued to false personality. It's not like we follow false personality. It's like we are attached, glued, superglued to false personality. And we find it very, very difficult. Well, let's just say you superglued your hand to your face. Getting your hand off your face is going to be difficult. But even more, it's going to be painful, very painful. Getting yourself unglued from false personality is very painful. This is why so few people do it. Pain is not something that we submit to easily. Useful suffering is not something that we're excited about. It's not something we go put an ad in the paper for. It's not something we enjoy all that much. We talked about suffering last week and how there's only one kind of suffering for us, the suffering to be avoided, all suffering. Useful suffering, though, it's painful, and that's why we don't want to do it. This work instructs us to begin by observing our mechanical thinking and feeling. Observe your mechanical thinking and feeling. To imaginary eye, nothing could be more unexciting. Why would I want to observe my mechanical thinking and feeling? I mean, where's the fun in that? What would you rather do? Go out dancing or observe your negative states? And there you have it. This is why people work from the wrong end. What would you rather do, be in a group with a lot of secrets or be in a group where the only thing you do is observe your negative states, your mechanical thinking and feeling? I'll take the secrets group, except that I don't. Well, why is that? Well, no secrets group will have me. That's why, because I keep telling the secrets. And you can't have a secrets group if somebody in it is going to go and broadcast the secrets all over the world. So that doesn't work. Observing our mechanical thoughts and feelings isn't enough. Alone, all that is is morbid introspection, which is what most people do when they think they're observing themselves. Morbid introspection. We look at what's going on in there and we see some of it, usually the bad stuff. And what makes it morbid is that we're identified with it and we start to judge it and judge ourselves and berate ourselves and get depressed, and we've had it up to here, and this is hopeless, and I'm not going to do this anymore. All that comes from morbid introspection. It comes from observing yourself while you're identified. So you're observing yourself and you're not observing yourself properly, which is why I call self-observation that's not done properly morbid introspection. The work gives us new ideas from which to think. That's how we begin thinking in a new way. So for us, what we have to do is to begin to hear these new ideas. And we hear the new ideas for years, repeated over and over and over again. And slowly, the ideas begin to connect. It's like a root system growing in a tree. It may grow very slowly, and it may look like nothing's happening because it's all under the surface, and something is happening. Those roots are reaching out, and they're connecting with what they need. And so it is with us. These ideas work behind the scenes, and they connect. And then you, every once in a while, trip over one of the roots and realize that you've made a connection. And that's how it is for us. I'm sure that other people make all their connections consciously and whenever they want to, but that's not the way it works for us for some reason, and no, none of the people I've ever really known. Most of the people who I knew, who I ever met, who were doing the work that other way, where they were in charge of everything and knew everything, and they were making all the connections, they were working in their imagination. And I've found that when you're doing that, you're working in your imagination. And I don't have a problem telling you that's pure imagination when it is. But then there are other times when it doesn't feed our false personality, it doesn't feed our pride and vanity, where we literally just trip over something and discover it, where we literally just have a realization that we didn't ask for and we didn't know was coming and we didn't know anything. It just was there. And it was like, oh, wow. And it doesn't fall on false personality because you can't take credit for it. Now, later you can take credit for knowing it. Oh, yes, well, blah, 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 blah. Of course, false personality will always take every ounce of credit because it's a thief. It will take every ounce of credit it can get one way or another. And our job is to not identify with false personality and not let it. Don't go with that. Though it may sound trite to change, one must change. Let me put it another way. How are you the same as you were? That's another way to look at it. How are you the same? Well, actually, we're the same in a lot of ways, aren't we? So if we want to change, then we're going to have to change. We can't remain the same. Well, what do you mean? Nothing can remain the same? Well, yes, that's what I mean. I mean, nothing can remain the same. That's exactly what I mean. For you, for me, nothing can remain the same. It doesn't all have to change at once, but nothing can remain the same. And the reason change is so difficult is because to change, we must let go of. We must leave. We must give up what went before. We're not willing to do that. Let's just look at the diet we were raised with. Everybody in here has a comfort food. Something that you were raised with. I told you I had a girlfriend once. who, Every time she got sick, she wanted Chef Boyardee ravioli from a can and I would just be in absolute horror. I thought that was horrible that anyone would eat that. I mean, she wouldn't even put it in a saucepan and heat it up. She would just want me to open the can and give it to her with a a fork or a spoon or something, and then she'd just eat it right out of the can. And to her, that was very comforting, because when she was a child, that's what her mother gave her when she was sick or whatever. And I thought, okay, I had a kind of an aversion to that, I guess you could say. whereas she thought it was just the best thing since sliced bread. So we all have some things, some comfort food. Then the thing is, is we're not willing to change that. We're not willing to let go of that. We're not willing to leave that. That's what I mean by in order to change, we must let go of, leave, give up what went before. And these are all things that went before. So is there an er- any inherent value in your comfort food? No, <laughs> there's not. That's why comfort food is generally junk food. Because there's no inherent value in it. And yet, we are incredibly unwilling to move. So how do you change if you won't leave what went before? And the answer to that is, obviously, you don't. So you go work in another area where you might be willing to change something. But of all the vast fields that we could work in, it's amazing how many of them are untouchable to us. We simply will not even go into them. We won't even think about changing anything there because we enjoy them. This is where most of our negative emotions grow, in those fields that we don't want to change in because we're enjoying our negative emotions so much. Well, in Monterey some years ago, I saw a vanity license plate. In California, they call license plates where you have some letters or something you pick out and you put them. They call them vanity license plates, and you get charged extra for having them. And this vanity license plate, which I just think, this really cracked me up. This one said, Fourth Way, 4-T-H-W-A-Y. And I thought, that's just rich, to have a vanity license plate that says fourth way. Look, I'm doing the work now, and this is how people approach the work, from the wrong end, from the vanity license plate end. Well, I'm in the fourth way. I'm already better than you, I'm already superior to you, ask me about it and I can't tell you anything because it's a big secret. I'm in a secret society and I'm doing secret work with secret movements and secret dances and we even have secret shoes and secret socks and oh, come on. I guess anything's better than self-observation and non-identification, anything. License plates, dances, movements, potlucks, work parties, anything's better than observing yourself. Anything's better than letting go of, leaving, giving up what went before. Anything's better than change. This is an example of affixing the work to ourselves like a badge or putting it on like a silly hat. And this is what we do. We just put up a billboard that says, I'm in the fourth way. I'm eating the apple and you're just looking at it. You know, I'm doing it. I'm there. and I don't know where you are, but you're not where I am and so you're not as good as me. What is that? Is that what you want? If that's what you want, you don't have to do anything. That just comes naturally. Just don't do a thing. Just go ahead and attend the meetings, read the books, do the movements, don't do anything else. And that will come naturally. As Penske said, to think that all you have to do is to remain mentally as before and merely attach this work onto your previous ways of thinking as something extra is simply not to understand what this work is about. Let me say here that I do not claim to understand what this work is about. I am beginning to understand what my work is in this work, but I don't think I understand it. I don't think I need to understand any more than I understand right now because, quite frankly, I have my hands full doing what I have to do now. And if someone were to add some more to me, I'm pretty sure that would be the straw that broke the mammal's back, in this case, mammal. The scribes and the Pharisees asked, Why do the disciples of John always fast and pray? And also, those of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. He told them a parable. I love this. Somebody asks a direct question. He doesn't answer the question. He tells them a parable. Why is it that we have to tell people parables? Well, because they're asking the wrong questions. They don't know what they're asking, really. See, they're just talking mechanically. They're asking mechanical questions. When you ask mechanical questions, the only kinds of answers you can get are mechanical answers. You have to be given the opportunity to be brought up to the place where you can receive a real answer. And a parable is a real answer that is just a little out of focus. So you have to refocus in order to understand the parable. So he says, no man cuts a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on a worn out garment so that he may not cut the new and the new piece will not blend with the old. So what he's saying is, look, let's say you've got an old pair of jeans. Well, you don't go and take a new pair of jeans and cut a piece of cloth out of the new pair of jeans and then put it on the old pair of jeans. Why don't you do that? Well, you don't want to cut the new pair of jeans. You don't want to cut the new cloth. Plus, it's not going to blend. Plus, the old jeans are already shrunk and the new jeans aren't. And so when you wash them, after you put that piece on there, the new piece is going to shrink and the old jeans aren't going to shrink. And so it's going to tear out a bigger hole in the old jeans because the new jeans piece shrunk. You get it? It's going to spoil it even more. Then he goes on to say, No man pours new wine into worn out skins, else the new wine will rend the skins, and the wine will run out, and the skins will be ruined. But they pour new wine into new skins, and both are well preserved. And no man drinks old wine and immediately wants new wine, for he says, The old is delicious. All this can be found in Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. Now remember the three levels of truth stone, water, wine! No man drinks old wine and immediately wants new wine. What is old wine? Well, it's whatever you're comfortable with. And the old wine is always better, isn't it? Aged wine, it's mellower, softer. New wine is like, oh, it's a little spiky, you know? It's a little tart, it's a little too new. It's just not as good. And we don't want that. Of course, he's talking about teachings. He's talking about esoteric truth. <laughs> we don't want the new esoteric truth. We want the old. We're not interested in letting go of the old leaving the old, giving up what went before. We're not interested in that. We're interested in staying with the old. We'll drink the old wine. That's just fine. We'll drink the old wine. And we become inebriated drinking the old wine and become senseless drinking the old wine. And we fail to progress, to continue our development by facing the useful suffering that we had to do, by facing the things in ourselves that we observe by going into those fields, those tracts of land internally that we have keep out signs on that we don't want to go into because we're afraid that we might have to give up something that we enjoy there. Why do disciples of John always fast and pray? And also those are the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Our fasting isn't external. Our fasting is internal. It's psychological. We have to fast from habitual thoughts and feelings and think from work ideas instead. We have to fast from what we're used to. We have to fast from what we're comfortable with. We have to give that up. We have to leave that. And we have to allow the work ideas to replace those old thoughts and feelings. This is impossible to do unless we first begin to become aware of our state of consciousness. What is our state of consciousness? Yeah, that's a tough question. I'm surprised no one, I mean, I'm not surprised no one. is a very difficult question. What is our state of consciousness? Okay, there's a number of ways to say it. One way is waking sleep. The other way is hypnotic sleep. The other way is sleep with the moving center active. That's our state of consciousness. Of course, you know that the work teaches there are four states of consciousness. On your bed when the moving center is not active. Walking around when the moving center is active. Then there's another state of consciousness that's possible to us. It's called self-consciousness, self-remembering, self-awareness. And then there's another state of consciousness after that, but we can't even talk about that yet. Oh, we could talk about it, but we don't know anything about it. We've touched it, but only momentarily. And There's nothing we can do about it. We don't own it. We can't stay there. So we don't really talk much about it because we don't know much about it. We can put it on a diagram and say, oh yes, that's the fourth state, objective consciousness. But we don't know really that is, other than just theoretically. As long as we go about imagining that we're fully conscious everything will continue to happen the only way it can happen and we're going to go about imagining that we're fully conscious for a long time to come i don't know how long but it'll be longer than today probably longer than the rest of this year maybe even longer than the rest of this decade it may even be longer than this lifetime i don't know it depends depends on you, and it depends on the work. You can only do so much. And what you can do is really very little compared to what you think you can do. But then, of course, your consciousness is really very little compared to what you think it is. As a matter of fact, everything about us is very little compared to what we think it is. But we can only find that out through self-observation, uncritical, non-identified, non-judgmental self-observation. And that's hard to do. If it was easy to do, we'd all be enlightened beings now. We must begin to think from the esoteric idea that man is asleep rather than the life idea that man is awake. See, the whole world supports, well, you're awake. awake. What are we talking about? You're awake. We're not asleep. Look at me. I'm not asleep. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. Well, within reason, of course. Would you want to go? No, I don't want to do that. But if I wanted to, I could do it. This is the great illusion for us. We're really sucked into this. I mean, we buy this thing completely. We buy this lie completely. It's such a pleasant lie. Oh, yes, I'm fully awake. I can do whatever I want. I'm awake. I can do. I'm one. I have will. I have all of those things. Sure, I do. It's pointless to sow the idea that man is asleep onto our ordinary, worn-out ways of thinking. But this is exactly what people do when they hear this. They either resist it, I'm not asleep. Or they say, well, you're right, man is asleep. I've known that for years. Ever since I woke up, I've noticed everyone else is asleep. That's just sowing the idea that man is asleep onto our ordinary worn out ways of thinking. The two will not blend and will cut the new destroying for us its wholeness or the proper order. Remember, in order to get this work to work for you, you've got to go according to the proper order and you don't get to decide what that order is. The work gets to decide. The work has already decided for you what that order is because the work knows your condition far better than you do. The work is what told you you were not one. The work is what told you you love negative emotions. The work is what told you you're asleep. The work is what told you you don't like suffering. The work is what told you you're full of pride and vanity. You didn't come up with these things on your own. All of these ideas were given to you by the work because it knows you better than you know you and it can teach you to know yourself if you will follow the proper order, if you will submit to something higher, if you will obey something higher. That's asking quite a lot because we're not inclined to obey anything higher, we're not inclined to submit, we're not inclined to even admit that there could be something higher. Do you understand through self-observation that you are asleep? How often, how often in a day do you understand through self-observation that you are asleep? You see the specificity about that? This work is very specific. It's about you and your sleep and your day and how many times you observe that about yourself. How many times in a day you say, oh, I'm asleep. It happens. I've heard it happen with people. I've asked them a question. They go, oh, I'm asleep. I'm sorry, I was was asleep. Oh, my God. I have people come in. Oh, my God. I can't believe how asleep I am. Well, that's true. We can't believe it. But the work continues to show us again and again and again. Until finally, we don't have to believe it. We know it. But you're right. We don't believe it. Patty said to me one day, I don't believe how asleep I am. (laughs) We believe it. (laughs) We've known you for years. But you're just getting to know you. And you believe it about us because you've known us for years. But we're just getting to know ourselves. How can you say we're just getting to know ourselves after all these years? Well, I just don't lie about that. That's how I can say it. Just don't lie about it. Just tell the truth about it. We're here to increase our consciousness. I can't think of another reason to be with you all. Not that you're not... Pleasant people to be around sometimes and unpleasant people to be around sometimes, just like everybody else on the planet. But we're here to increase our consciousness. We're not here to prove how much more evolved we are than others. We're not here to prove that this group's better than that group. We're not here to prove that we're doing the work and they're not doing the work or that we're not doing the work and they are doing the work. None of that is important to me. None of it. I don't care. What is important to me is increasing my consciousness. What is important to me is that we work together to increase our consciousness. Bruce Nicole said... What is the most precious, the most mysterious, and the most indefinable possession that we have been given? Well, some people will say the gift of life. And I will say, well, the gift of life is rather pointless without this other gift. Consciousness. As we are, we don't use this gift, but surrender it to every pleasing mood, every passing thought. That was what Maurice Nicole had to say. The gift is consciousness. We don't use it, but surrender it to every pleasing mood, every passing thought. And Spensky said, one must learn to control consciousness by placing it. We haven't much consciousness with which to work, and it's out of our control. So it's very difficult for us to place consciousness. You try to place, you're meditating, you try. you start off, you do Anapana, and you just try and focus on your breath, the incoming breath, the outgoing breath, and the sensations on the area above the upper lip. That's what you try to do. And how long can you do that? Right. It's a joke, isn't it? It's like, oh... I did it one time for 30 seconds, maybe felt like 30 years, but <laughs> it's a joke, really. We can't place our consciousness. It's like if you, if you give a baby, an infant, a flashlight in a dark room. Here you go, so you're not going to be afraid of the dark. And turn the flashlight on for them and you put it in their hand. Where are you going to find the flashlight? Well, first of all, they're not going to be able to hold it for long. Even if they do, they're going to hold it long enough to stick it in their mouth. But which end will they stick in their mouth? We don't know. And then they'll probably drop it. Sooner or later, they'll drop it. And the flashlight, as it goes through the dark room, you may be able to see things in a flash. But the baby will not be able to direct that light at something in that room and hold it there. And the only difference between that baby and ourselves is we think that we can. But we can learn to place our consciousness. It can be learned. Our consciousness brings into consciousness all kinds of deadly things. Could you think of something that your consciousness brings into your consciousness? How about negative emotions? Does your consciousness bring into your consciousness negative emotions? You bet it does. And you don't have anything to do with it. It just ushers them in. Here you go. Sit here. Take the best seat. Here you go. Have the biggest plate. Get the biggest serving of food, of energy, of impressions. And you have nothing to do about it. There's nothing you can say about it. It just does it. You may wake up in the middle of it. If you've allowed these work ideas to take root in you, if you've allowed them a place in you, They will wake you up in the middle of it, and you'll have a choice to stop identifying with it, to back away from it, not to go with that, or to push the work away. (laughs) We won't go into how many times we push the work away. What's easier than being negative? Sleeping, but that's when you're negative. So those two go together. What we are is where we place our consciousness. As we are now, acquired habits place our consciousness for us. We don't place our consciousness, we don't direct the flashlight in the dark room. As we are, all of our acquired habits does that for us. And the light always goes to the same place, out there. What's wrong with them? That's where the light shine. Our consciousness shined on. What's wrong with Rex? What's wrong with Diana? What's wrong with Lori? What's wrong with you? We must begin to do the truths that esotericism teaches. It's so much easier to do the movements, to do the dances, to get the vanity license plate, to put the bumper sticker on your car, to buy the book. It's so much easier. It's like Lori buys books. She doesn't read them, she buys them. And she knows this about herself. I went up into her library one day and I said, what are all the? oh, have you read these? No, I've never read them, I just bought them. And then she goes by a bookstore and she does it again. It's amazing. It's just easier to buy something than it is to read something. Just like it's easier to put the vanity license plate on your car than it is to do the work. Just like it's easier to learn some movements than it is to change your consciousness. Begin to do the truths esotericism teaches. Don't go with the little negative eyes. You know, a simple thing like that. Don't go with the n- little negative eyes. Now, learn to do that truth. That is the truth that esotericism teaches. And you have heard this for years now. I've been telling you this for years. We've been telling each other for years. We've been reading it for years. Now do it. Well, I do do it. Good. Do it some more. Do it when you don't do it. This helps us to develop will. It's hopeless to imagine we can begin with something bigger, better, finer. This is what a lot of people do. They think, oh, I'll start with the bigger something. No, no, no. We must begin where we are, right here in hell. Where your consciousness is, you are. When you're negative, you're in hell. Where murder, hatred, and violence reign supreme. And it's inside of you. And when you are entertaining negative eyes, you are in hell. First, we become conscious of our consciousness. This leads us to an increase in consciousness. First thing we do is become aware of the fact, conscious of the fact, that we are in hell because we entertain negative eyes, because we love them, because they're our friends, because they give us things that we like. Go to a kid and give a kid a choice between spinach or broccoli or asparagus and a piece of candy. No contest for most children. They're going to take the candy because they like it because it's something that's sweet that they like. Negative emotions are like that for us, although we lie about it all the time. After some time, this consciousness of consciousness grows, giving us a new consciousness, apart from the one of which we were aware and with which we were identified. This is how it works. It's like a snake shedding its skin. You leave that behind, and you just have something new. And it's like your skin, you don't even know it's there. All you know is that you did shed, with a little bit of difficulty, what went before. This is the road to the third state of consciousness, self-remembering, self-awareness. Here, we begin to see our lives in a new way. We become newly conscious and get new, better, higher influences at work in our lives. And they will continue to lead us for as long as we will follow, for as long as we will obey, for as long as we will submit to something higher. That's working from the right end. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.